Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. You're listening to The Contest and Me, a podcast from the Euro Trip. Hello there and welcome along to a brand new episode of the Eurotrip, the world's favourite Eurovision podcast. We are back with you for another edition of The Contest and Me. It's James with you and, of course, Mr Rob Lilly. Hello. Hello. You said the world's favourite Eurovision podcast with a lot of purpose and like oomph this week. I really liked it. It was as if it was the first time you truly believed it yourself. (laughs) Maybe it is. Maybe it is. Maybe it is. I don't know why I said maybe it is already. I just didn't know what else to say. <laughs> I mean, it does sound like you haven't got a lot of confidence in our own podcast, is what I'm getting <laughs> from this. Anyway, before you say anything else to upset me, who's joining us on the contest of me this week? Yeah, so last week we were, of course, in Switzerland. We were at EBUHQ chatting to Dave Goodman, but we've hopped on a plane and headed to the Emerald Isle. I think that's how they go by, isn't it? To Ireland to chat to Louise Cantillon, TV and radio presenter from Ireland, who is the host of Ireland's junior Eurovision coverage. Very conveniently, and you will hear Louise say this later on, Ireland's junior Eurovision selection show starts this weekend. It starts on Sunday, so the perfect timing to get Louise on the podcast. She was out in Paris for junior Eurovision last year, of course, covering the contest there. And she is a huge Eurovision fan. So some brilliant stories from her about her love of Eurovision. Yeah, plenty of great stories and a whole lot of passion about being from Ireland and about Ireland's heritage at the Eurovision Song Contest. And she mentions some of our favourite guests we've ever had on the podcast, so look forward to that as well. So we've got all that and more still to come. Absolutely loads to come on today's episode of The Contest and Me. It is brilliant to be back with you. Goes without saying that, of course, you may have been expecting, I say you may have been expecting, understandably you're expecting this because we told you you were getting one, a bonus episode of the Eurotrip on Friday. Now, it goes without saying that, fairly obvious, why you didn't get said bonus episode last week, but the bonus episode that we promised you will be on its way in just two days' time. Yeah, and what I would say to that is, it's definitely worth the wait. We kept you waiting long enough to hear it in the first place, but I thought, you know what, an extra seven days for you to try and figure out who it is and figure out what stories you're going to hear is well worth it. So make sure you tune in again on Friday for that bonus episode from us here at the Eurotrip. 
Absolutely. I'll just read out now what I put on Twitter on Monday to give you a little idea of what was coming up this week and the description of the bonus episode on Friday to give you a little tease. I've said a special conversation with a key member of the UK Eurovision 2022 team and someone who can offer a brilliant behind-the-scenes look at the contest. Mm, so, so true. So get your guesses in if you want. If you want to try and figure out who it is and try and be very clever about it, then do let us know at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, speaking of getting in touch, a big thanks to everyone who has got in touch with us over the last seven days. Uh, Sanjay on Instagram. Uh, left us a comment on the back of the Dave Goodman episode we brought you last week saying another great podcast really interesting thanks for your great content absolutely fab isn't that nice always nice when we get such lovely feedback on the podcast which by the way is always very welcome obviously goes without saying yeah, speaking of some more feedback, here's a, a one we got at the beginning of the month. So sorry for not reading it out any sooner. Kyle on Instagram said, Hey guys, I just wanted to say I absolutely love the podcast. As a newer Eurovision fan, it has helped me understand the history of the contest. Your interviews are really fun and make it easy to develop a connection with the artists. Well, thank you and you're very welcome. Is this is this going to be like, you know, when you had to do an essay at school and your main source was Wikipedia and it turned out <laughs> that most of the information was wrong? Is that what Kyle's problem? Is that the problem that Kyle's now going to have, given that we are his authority on the past history of the Eurovision Song Contest. Yeah, I hope all of the history that he is taking away from the podcast is true. We, I'm sure we definitely make some slip-ups here, there, and everywhere. Well, not everywhere. Sometimes, I'm naturally, like everybody else, we make Basically, Carl, so please keep listening, is what we're saying, and thank you for getting in touch. And James said, apologies that we'd not replied because he sent the message earlier in the month. Obviously, that's just because we get so many messages. That's why that was. It just <laughs> got lost. We just get so many. But also, let me just finish off his message. He also said, glad I found the podcast and happy to be a super fan, which is a bit easier in Canada when everything is on at about 2 p.m. P.S. I don't know where Rob was in Canada, but I hope we treated him well. They certainly did. And I think I told Carl exactly where I went. And it turned out that he is on completely the other side of the country because it turns out Canada is a very big place. It turns out Canada is a very big place. <laughs> that makes yeah, it sound like I recently discover discovered that Canada is large. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other thing we did on last week's podcast, of course, was Eurovision in Unlikely Places, which is one of my favourite things that we do here on the podcast. We had some brilliant contributions last week, some brilliant submissions. Well, another submission comes in from Victoria. Victoria, thank you so much for getting in touch. Now, she says, in October 2019, brackets, I remember the month because of how out of season it was. So approaching the three-year anniversary of this hashtag Eurovision in Unlikely Places. Uh, Victoria says, I heard, insert name of song, playing in a Holland and Barrett. Now, Holland and Barrett is a uh, is a kind of kind of shop that sells, like, health. It's like a health shop, I would say. Like well-being. Yeah. Health and well-being. Health and well-being. I don't know if they have them everywhere. Just here in the UK. Mm. I don't know. Anyway, we've got them here. Anyway, I said insert name of song here. Insert name of song here, because I cannot pronounce the name of the song so instead i went online to try and find out how you pronounce the name of the song anyway this is the video i found and rather than me saying it i thought we'd share this video with you because it is a quite entertaining because of the man who tries to teach us how to say the word and then you finally get the proper pronunciation so here you are bonjour this is julian the frenchman who makes french pronunciation videos here on youtube and we are looking at how to say kang a kang in French. How do you go about pronouncing this word? No, we do not say Roy, but rather Roi. Roi is how we would say it in France. Roi, but it'd be fine in English to say it as Roi. Roi. I can't believe you went to all those lengths to find out the name of the word with it being such a short word, three letters, and you could have just typed it into Google Translate and got it even quicker than that. But I, I enjoy, you know, you you are a little bit older, you know, your um your technology understanding is a little bit lower than maybe some other people. So you know, fair play to you, Rob. Fair play. I, I like the lengths you went to. Yeah, I struggle with technology, and as we just heard, you struggle with sentence structure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I was going to say, I was halfway through that, and I thought, do you know what, I'm, I'm not one to talk, am I? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, thank you everyone for getting in touch. Thank you everyone who's tuning in, of course, today and listening to this episode right now. And 
please do send us your messages. So we are at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. We are also hello at EurotripPodcast.com on the email. Now then, shall we get to this week's conversation here on the contest? And me, as we mentioned before, we have hop-footed it across to the island of Ireland to chat to the host of Ireland's junior Eurovision coverage, Louise Cantillon. The second time that we have headed to, as you so wonderfully described it earlier, the Emerald Isle and Ireland here on this series of The Contest in Me. Of course, earlier on in the series, we spoke to Emma Kelly, the entertainment journalist. Go back and have a listen to that if you haven't already. And it's great to be back in Ireland, as you said, with the host of their junior European coverage. It kicks off this weekend. And lovely, isn't it, that not just Ireland in junior Eurovision this year, we should say as well, of course, the United Kingdom making their junior Eurovision return, which we've not actually mentioned on the podcast yet. Yeah, you took me by surprise by bringing that up. I've totally forgotten that it had been announced. Yes, of course, that's huge news for, for British fans of the Eurovision Song Contest. We know Ireland have taken part uh, over the last few years, um, which we will be chatting about uh, with Louise. But yeah, the UK is back. That's going to be, um, we're going to go off on a tangent here, but uh, very quickly, Rob, that is uh, very exciting to see, isn't it? It is very exciting news, absolutely. And just so you know, everyone listening to this, we're doing our very best to, to get you all the info that you need to know, the, the scoop, as you will, on the UK returning to the Eurovision Song Contest. So we hope to bring you a very special episode over the next few weeks or possibly in the run-up to the contest in December to uh, to give you an idea of how it actually happened and how the UK returned to junior Eurovision after all this time. Yes, but let's get back to Louise. If you live in Ireland or spent any time in Ireland, maybe Louise is a big name to you. She's a she's a TV radio presenter over there. She's presented on Spin, the radio station in Ireland, and has just recently joined Today FM. So you'll probably recognise her voice if you live or spent any time at all in Ireland. Yeah, she's like Ireland's Ken Bruce, if you were. I, I don't know. <laughs> Does she want that comparison? I, think I don't know. I didn't ask. <laughs> brilliant comparison for anyone, I think. Yeah, no, she's a, a brilliant presenter. Great to have her on the podcast. And she has, as you would expect, some brilliant stories, including, stay tuned for this one, when she met a previous Irish Eurovision entry at school. And she's then gone on to meet them later in life as well. So that's a lovely story. Other brilliant ones as well, including watching Eurovision think pretty much in an empty house because she just moved i think she told that story as well yeah that's a that's a really fun story and it wouldn't be a conversation about island at eurovision if we didn't talk about the wonderful paul and charlie paul harrington and charlie mcgettigan the winners of eurovision 1994 one of my favorite conversations i've ever had on the podcast was chatting to them too so we'll get some stories about that wonderful duo as well yeah they are brilliant and i love them so much and I know you say it, I think, but if you haven't heard that, go back and listen to them. That was a lovely Christmas special from a couple of years ago. A lot of signposting to different episodes in this one, but I'm sure it'll keep you listening. If you haven't listened to them already, it is honestly, of course we would say it, but it is well worth listening, uh, going back and listening to some other older episodes of ours. But let's get to this week's conversation here on The Contest and Me. It is with Louise Candelon. Louise Cantillon, welcome to the Eurotrips, the contest and me. Thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted and honoured to be asked and a little bit nervous because I didn't prepare my answers. So they're going to be a little bit off the cuff here now, James. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, this is what we like. Most people have prepared and it's all been slick and professional. But if we have a few, if we have a few episodes, a few conversations where it's a little bit more all over the place, that's what I'm signing up for. So so I'm, I'm happy if you're happy. Well, look, I'm very happy and let me bring the all over the place scattiness. I do that well, so <laughs> I'll take care of that for you. <laughs> oh, Louise, it's great to have you back. We last spoke and first spoke actually back in December, just before Junior Eurovision. Maybe we can talk about Junior Eurovision a little bit in the scope of this conversation. But can we talk a little bit about the 2022 Eurovision Song Contest that we saw in May? It still feels like yesterday, but also about 10 years ago at this point. What, what do you remember from the contest? 
Absolutely. I know it's bizarre to think how quickly the months have gone by since. Um, like an obvious highlight for us was obviously, you know, Brooke representing Ireland. I know she didn't make it all the way to the finals, but it was all of the hype that surrounded Brooke that did it for me. She was just such an exciting contestant that, you know, Ireland sent forward. I was really kind of disappointed, actually, that she didn't make the, the final because she is that type of character that would have brought so much more um, than just her song and her performance to the Eurovision. And I think she did that anyway. You know, you saw her relationship online. It kind of grew with Rylan. Uh, they had lots of fun in terms of like social media and all of that. And uh, she was just a great new voice. Um, to come out of Ireland for Eurovision. So she was obviously the highlight for me. And I remember, I think the hype on Twitter was something we haven't seen in quite a while, you know, from an Irish entrant. Maybe Jedward, I'm thinking back, they always generate hype. But Brooke really brought like, you know, a new younger audience to the Eurovision um, from Irish side of things. And I think that that's so important to do as well. Do you think that Brooke has sort of been a bit of a turning point for Ireland? Because I remember a few weeks ago in this series, we were chatting to Emma Kelly, who is also from Ireland, is a great journalist from Ireland. And she was talking about sort of the, the leaps and strides forward Brooke seems to have made for Ireland in Eurovision. Do you think this could be, although she didn't qualify, do you think this could be a bit of a turning point for, for Ireland to get back to its, uh, to its heyday results in the 90s, maybe? I hope that it is. And I mean, I, I think that that's a long way to have to go back and to claw back to that those glory days is probably uh, very ambitious. But, you know, I mean, there's obviously so much at play, you know, yourself, James, with voting and whether or not, you know, countries will actually how they will, you know, get on in a final. But ultimately, I think someone like Brooke is a brilliant representative for Ireland because she's young. She's for the first time sang a really poppy, cool pop song that's a little bit, you know, cheeky at times and like in Ireland I think we can maybe we don't always go there uh like Jedward can be they're more entertain their entertainment value is very different I think to the entertainment value that Brooke brings and she's a fantastic singer first and foremost and I think you're right I think Emma Kelly is right in saying it is a move in the correct direction and it's a move in the direction that I think Ireland needs to go in if we want to get back into those finals. Tell us, where were you watching this year? What was your Eurovision setup? Was it a party at home? What were you doing? I was at home and you know what? I was in the process of moving from one house to another. So I was actually, I remember it so well. I was sitting in the most bare living room, just the couch and the television. <laughs> and uh, it was actually bizarre. There was no, you know, usually we'd go all out. It was actually kind of grim, but it was lovely. I focused on the television. And um, I have a pal who I watch Eurovision with every year. I must shout him out. He's a radio presenter, Neela Stackpool. And uh, he and I were WhatsApping viciously throughout the whole thing, like second by second commentary. And uh, I think for me, actually, having those chats with him is almost better than the production itself. I love it. Um, <laughs> it's always gas. So I sat alone in an empty room, actually. How, how upsetting is that? <laughs> oh, it's a, it's a good memory to have anyway, even if it wasn't the biggest party that you've ever been to. At least it's a Eurovision that'll stay in your memory for, for a long time. Not, no party at all. It was me and cardboard boxes. But uh, <laughs> no, the entertainment was on the television. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was very hard not to be entertained this year. Sure, it wasn't. Well, we're talking about Eurovision memories. We've talked a little bit about Ireland's heyday back in the 1990s, and maybe that's where we're about to go when we talk about your first ever Eurovision memory. What is that pinpoint in your brain that when you first were aware of the Eurovision Song Contest? You know, I'm thinking, and I had to do a little bit of a Google to find out what exact year this was, but I remember Charlie McGettigan and Paul Harrington winning with Rock and Roll Kids. It was 1994, so I was actually... A baby at the time but I think the reason that it's in my head is it was such a song it was such a powerful you know ballad and a song at the time and it obviously did so well in Irish radio play and internationally and I remember my parents buying it on CD after the Eurovision after they had won and it was a soundtrack that I would hear all the time on a CD player in our house and my parents would always say you know they're the lads that won the Eurovision and Charlie McGettigan obviously being from Leitrim uh, and Paul Harrington the piano player you know it was an unusual combination and it was great for rural Ireland to be you know crowned winners so I think for me it was probably the Eurovision I was well I was still very very young for but it was like I, the Irish success I was actually alive for and uh, I definitely remember my parents playing that song oh my goodness like for years after we were the rock and roll kids rock and roll was all we did and listening to those songs on the radio 
was yours and you were mine That was once upon a time Now we never seem to rock and roll anymore There's a somewhat of a huge pride in Ireland, isn't there, for Eurovision? When, when I chat to people from the UK, when they grew up, maybe there isn't a lot of sort of Eurovision running through the charts and running through culture, whereas in Ireland, I guess that's very, very different, especially in the 1990s. Yeah, entirely. I mean, if you think of Ireland, you know, where they were politically, historically, everything that was going on in the country, um, to have a Eurovision win, I guess, brought so much joy to the people of Ireland. And you're right, there is that massive sense of pride. It's like, you know, it's like the Soccer World Cup. I always say this with Eurovision fans, whether you like music, you don't like music, however you feel politically, you kind of come together, you row together uh, and you're happy to be part of, you know, like something good that's happening in your country. And I think for Ireland, absolutely, the early 90s was a time where we needed as much of that as we could get. So um, I think all of the success we, we found in Eurovision um, will be memories that our culture will hold very dear, you know, when it comes to pride and happy memories. So, uh, yeah, I think I think it was. But also Rock and Roll Kids, you know, it's a beautiful it's a beautiful Irish song. And uh, I think like the funny thing is, it's one of these songs that years on, like, you know, 20, 30 years later, people will still sing it at the end of a night, a good old Irish sing song. You'll have someone that will start singing Rock and Roll Kids. And that's a testament to, you know, a really good piece of music as well. Yeah, it's one of uh, one of my favourite ever Eurovision songs. And I remember it's a, coming up to about two years ago, I was lucky enough to chat to Paul and Charlie for the podcast. And well, I say I spoke to them. Maybe I asked them about one or two questions and them two just talked at me, which is the good thing about them. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> have you ever have you ever encountered Paul and Charlie? Have you ever spoken to them before? I have. I actually, Paul's brother, Joe Harrington, is a radio uh, DJ. He's a radio presenter in Ireland. And I worked with Joe for quite a while. And uh, they're just a brilliant family. They're all so musical, so talented. And uh, even the pride that he still has, you know, for his brother years on. Um, I mean, it probably was a one hit wonder in terms of their career together. But like, what a hit, you know. Uh, so they, they definitely are. They're like national treasures now, James. I think we can call them that. <laughs> <laughs> alongside all of the other Irish winners of course it's almost if you you can put them all on a pedestal together can't you all those Irish winners and I should also actually do a quick little segue here and say Paul Harrington joins us as a guest judge in this year's Junior Eurovision so if you are a fan of Paul Harrington he actually shares his guest expertise with some of our 9 to 14 year old contestants and uh, he's got amazing things to say actually about like how much of an addition it is to play live music on the Eurovision stage while singing and uh, you know how that's like another literal very literal string to someone's bow if they're a musician that can sing and play so um he's got lots of interesting things to say i'd imagine he talked at you with loads of great stuff <laughs> <laughs> he sure did he sure did and i'm sure we'll have a, a little chat about junior eurovision a little bit later on as well uh, we've talked about your first eurovision memory which is a bit of a weird one because it's almost as if you were you were saying you were still pretty much a baby very young and we're still sort of aware of of what eurovision was so to move on to the next one then the moment you fell in love with Eurovision, is that, a, is that an easy or a difficult one to pinpoint, do you think? That's a difficult one to pinpoint. And I was thinking about, obviously, you know, I only heard these questions a few moments ago and I was like, when did I fall in love with Eurovision? There was a few different moments, I guess. But uh, there definitely, I think, for me, is one standout moment. Again, this is going to be a bizarrely Irish one. Um, but I remember falling in love with the excitement and the glamour and you know, how big I knew at the time, I think it was such a big, big deal. And I think that's what I fell in love with that whole, um, you know, the lights, camera action, the glamour of it all. And I think that, you know, that's what separates Eurovision from so many other contests. Um, and I remember it was 2003. I was in secondary school. I just no, I was just finishing primary school. And uh, Mickey Joe Hart was actually the um he was selected to represent Ireland that year he had uh he's from Donegal which is the opposite side of Ireland to where I'm from I'm from the south of Ireland so he was all the way the other side of the country and uh he went on a bit of a tour before he went to the Eurovision to different schools in Ireland and uh to different you know cities and towns and he played we've got the world tonight obviously which is another big anthem now I know he didn't go on to see the same success um that many of our other Eurovision entries did but I have a memory of me Mickey Joe Hart and his green guitar in 2003 I still have a photo to prove this actually and I remember just thinking oh my goodness 
he is the coolest person. This is the coolest competition. You know, hearing him talk about heading off, heading off to Eurovision, his journey, his preparation. Um, and I remember that one of his backing dancers at the time was from Limerick, the city I'm from in the south of Ireland. And I was like, oh, my God, this is so cool. <laughs> I like I laugh now when I think back because I'm sure Mickey Joe Hart is strolling around Donegal somewhere and, uh, you know, l- leading a very normal life right now. But it was mania at the time. And I remember um, it was such a big deal. And I think for me, that was kind of getting bitten by the bug. And I was like, wow, I'd love to have something to do at Eurovision someday. So you'd met him. This was before he went on to represent Ireland or was it after? So he'd just gotten, he, he had just gotten selected in the, you know, I think it was, again, it was a TV process. He was selected as the winner. He actually won a competition called You're a Star in 2003, I think. And uh, obviously we'd been following that all up along on the telly. So we kind of knew he was, you know, we'd known him for a few weeks on the television, met him before he went to the Eurovision. And I remember thinking, so cool. So that sticks out, that sticks in my mind. And uh yeah, I mean, who doesn't love We've Got the World Tonight? We still play that at the end of a night in Ireland as well. <laughs> Do you think he tells the same story? He, he says, I remember meeting Louise Cantillon back in 2003. <laughs> Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But I'm sure that he has amazing memories. Actually, I've met him since and I've told him that story. And, uh, you know, he himself, actually, it's funny you say that. He says the hype and the build up after the television program. So obviously, you know that the selection process has changed in Ireland when it comes to who we send. Um, but that particular year, there was a, a very popular song competition on Irish television. And I think he probably will never forget the hype that went along with that because it was kind of pre-social media. So, you know, if you did see someone in the flesh, it was a big deal, you know. You're doing a really good job of sort of pinpointing some some of the Irish Irish artists that we've spoken to on the podcast. No, because we've spoken to uh, Mickey Joe Hart as well. Honestly, I think it was about one of our first 10 episodes we ever did and Mickey joined us on the podcast. So if you can keep this up and, oh. you know, highlight to people <laughs> these other episodes we've ever done, that would be great. No, let's move on then to uh, your favourite Eurovision year. And this can be for any reason. It could be for the mixture of songs that were sent. It could be for just the overall scale of the of the show that year. It's up to you. What do you think is your favourite Eurovision year? I I think I kind of loved the year before last when Maniskin won. Like they're one of my favourite acts to have won. I know that you're going to ask me about this um, shortly as well. But I think that that was a pretty cool Eurovision. Like there were lots of moments. Um, I think actually what I want to say is that the evolution of Eurovision since the introduction of Twitter um, would you agree that that has changed so much the way we watch Eurovision? Yeah, I think so. It's it's interesting. I've had this conversation before with a few people, not necessarily on the podcast, but just chatting about sort of the evolution of, of Eurovision and the way it's developed and definitely sort of the way Twitter runs through it now and the, the fandom that exists on there has really sort of opened it up to a, a huge audience again, hasn't it? Yeah, like this is it. I guess that's what I want to say. Like, you know... I'm thinking of maybe when I watched Eurovision growing up throughout the early noughties with my family as a young person, very much we were watching the Eurovision, everything that was unfolding on the television in front of us and living in the moment with each other. But I think now when I watch the Eurovision, I'm watching Twitter as well. I'm watching other people's opinions, uh, seeing what celebrities have to say, you know, seeing what the acts themselves have done or said in the run up. And I think it's changed entirely how we view Eurovision. I kind of love it, you know, um, and I think it's something that has intrigued me. And like, especially this year, I think when the Eurovision was on in Turin, we didn't have obviously an Irish person in the final, but there was so much Irish commentary online that it almost felt like we were in it together anyway. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And you you were talking about 2021 there and and Maniskin. Maybe we'll we'll talk about that. You sort of teased ahead. Maybe that could be a potential for one of your favourite Eurovision songs. But do you think the 2021 contest sort of holds a bit of a special place, maybe for a lot more people as well, because it was one of those first events that came back after the pandemic? Yeah, exactly. And I think I'm glad you said that. I was thinking that as well. Like it definitely was a moment, I think, that so many people have been looking forward to. And then I think we saw Eurovision in a different light when we saw, you know, the pods are a different little, um, you know, the fact that I guess there were still like that social distancing moment uh, that it, it was it was still very it was Eurovision, but it was very it was it wasn't Eurovision as we knew it. Um, and I think as well for me, 2021 
Neov Nikronin and I, who spoke to you last year, we had actually been lucky enough to travel to the Junior Eurovision and we'd kind of almost like seen it from behind the scenes as well. I've never been to the Senior Eurovision. I've never been to the Eurovision uh, Song Contest. So I think seeing it as well from that perspective and how big a spectacle it is, even for the junior side of events. Yeah, I think I totally agree with that. It, it just it was more special and more poignant than ever before, I think. You've already teased this then. Favourite Eurovision song. Is it safe to say it is Monoskin or is there a few more in the running, do you think? Uh, there's loads in the running. Like I've loved so many, but I fell in love with Maniskin when they won. It's funny because I think they were really, there was so much mixed opinion about them. Um, I loved them. I loved everything they did on social media. I love how cool they are. I love that, you know, they are rock and roll and how much they embrace that. Um, and the fact that they were, you know, they started as boskers in Italy, um, you know, earning their trade on the street, getting radio play where they could here and there from local stations. And to look at what the Eurovision has done for them, you know, on a global scale now, I just think it's a brilliant story and they're, really really cool and a great I think they're a great product of Eurovision actually. Now I can already hear the uh, my email inbox getting flooded by Irish Eurovision fans saying why hasn't she picked an Irish Eurovision song so I'm going to give you the opportunity to put a number two in place <laughs> <laughs> and give me maybe oh. your favourite Irish Eurovision song just because I'm curious as well I'd love to know which ones from Irish history up there. Oh, well, hands down, my favourite Irish Eurovision song is going to have to be Rock and Roll Kids. Like Charlie McGettigan and Paul Harrington, that is my favourite song. Um, my favourite moment, my favourite song, 100%. Um, since then, like there has been so many Irish ones that I've loved. Like Brooke, okay, I'm going to actually say Brooke had an earworm and That's Rich is something that, you know, so many of us still have on our playlists and we don't even realize that it was a Eurovision song. So I think what's really cool about Brooke's song, actually, when her entry first hit radio play, I was working with a pop radio station at the time in the south of Ireland. And, you know, without even acknowledging that this song was a Eurovision entry, it was already becoming a hit. People loved it. And I think that's a really great sign of a song as well. And I think maybe like Emma Kelly mentioned to you last week, it was it was like a changing point. It, it's something so different um, in terms of an Irish entries. Like we love a good ballad. We know that we we can Irish <laughs> entrants can do good ballads really, really well. Um, obviously, we've had the Neve Kavanaugh's of the past who have sung incredibly like Dana. You know, we have all of these beautiful ballads. But for me, Brooke, that's rich. It was cool. It was poppy. And it was so refreshing. And something that uh, something that I think I'll keep on my playlist, Eurovision or not Eurovision, um, you know, for the longest time. That's the true test, isn't it, for, for a Eurovision song, is that because for a lot of people, maybe critics of, of the Eurovision Song Contest, they can sort of sometimes listen to a certain song from Eurovision and just say, oh, that's such a Eurovision song. But if you can play them a song from the contest and they don't immediately have that opinion and they just think it is a great song, that's a really a good test yeah. for a song that's in the contest, isn't it? Yeah, it's amazing. And another one that did that so well, I'm going to get slated now because I'm not being Irish and patriotic, is <laughs> Loren when she sang Euphoria. Because any, you know, maybe club DJ who plays the cheesy classics, Euphoria is another track that just, you know, it went beyond that Eurovision hype. And it's like, it's a song that's still there as a brilliant pop song that we love to dance to and we love to sing, you know. Um, and I think you're so right. If you can kind of break out of that, um it can break out of that umbrella term like Eurovision song, Eurovision hit, then you know you're you're after creating a great piece of music, yeah. I was worried for a moment because I thought you were going to be the only person on the contest to me who didn't mention Euphoria. So you've, you've put that you've put that right. Oh. Everybody <laughs> always mentions Euphoria and for good reason because it is one of those that just stands the test of time after still 10 years. It still sounds modern to this day, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I actually have a pal who DJs in Dublin and he does a great remix of it. And he, I remember him saying to me before, he was like, at the end of a night, no matter what you're playing, you can put on Euphoria and you can be guaranteed that everybody, it will just, it will just erupt, you know? So I think that, yeah, it's such a tune. It's such a banger. 
Too right, too right. Now then, let's do most memorable Eurovision moment. I'm going to bend the rules for you slightly because I know you said you've never been to the Eurovision Song Contest, but you have been to Junior Eurovision. So you can give me your favourite, uh, your most memorable moment that watching it on TV, but then also here's an opportunity to talk about when you went to Junior Eurovision in Paris last year. I'm going to go back to Maniskin and say the most memorable moment for me had to be had to be when they found out that they had won. Now, I'm not even going to go into the whole scandal around that, but I honestly think Twitter went to town. The memes, the videos, like the can I go as far as saying no pun intended, the crack on Twitter afterwards was <laughs> on um, sorry, that's probably the wrong choice word. <laughs> but I just remember, um, I remember thinking to myself, like, this is going to be something that will be spoken about forevermore, you know. And uh, honestly, like, OK, that's probably a memory for just my own personal laugh out loud moment. But uh, I remember thinking, like, go on Eurovision, like, this is hilarious. And everything that unfolded on Twitter afterwards, I did get a good laugh of. And I don't think that we'll forget that moment anytime soon. In fact, I think that that meme of, um, what is the lead singer of Maniskin again called? He's sitting at the table and he's got the leg up. Damiano. Um, Yeah, Damiano. And I just think that that's going to be like, that's going to just be a moment in time. And that will be something that will be recycled every single year for many, many years. Um, I don't think we're going to have quite as, you know, a controversial winners reveal again in the it's just iconic isn't Um, it it is iconic and i mean for them of all bands as well you know i think it just it was it was a moment in time um the most memorable moment for me in the junior eurovision i actually think last year in paris was the opening ceremony um i know that this isn't something that gets as much broadcast time it's generally pre-recorded and you might see snippets of it on the actual broadcast program but um I just remember having chills down my spine. Again, it was COVID times last Christmas in Paris. Um, the production was spectacular. Um, the venue was spectacular. And I think it just blew my mind to think that this was a junior competition and the amount of money investment, the amount of, you know, the production levels were just off the charts um, and how each country felt so, so proud about ensuring that their representative had all of that support and, you know, was able to line out with some of the big you know heavyweights of Eurovision as well so um, I think for me that's something I will never forget I just was blown away by the you know um, yeah the emotion of all of it it's it's an incredible event to witness live. I think you said before at some point when you were growing up and seeing how big Eurovision was there was always a dream for you to to be involved in the Eurovision Song Contest at some point in your life so was 2021 the junior contest was that the first time you'd been in sort of involved at all? Yeah, so absolutely. I mean, over the years with radio, obviously, you'd always have your chats with contestants before they head to Eurovision. And, you know, you're kind of involved, but from a distance. So for me, having an opportunity to host a competition like the Junior Eurovision on Irish TV was unbelievable. Um, I I think when I first took the gig, I didn't realize that they would be so interconnected. You know, I kind of thought, oh, the Junior Eurovision, this is just a little speck. This is nothing to do with the, the big competition. But actually, obviously as the you know experience unfolded and I started to host the show and then we went on to travel to Paris and I realized actually all of the committees a lot of the volunteers they're the the same people who just do this at the other side of the Eurovision year's calendar you know while they're in preparation for this coming May obviously they you know this is like a trial run for a lot of them and meeting all of these people was absolutely incredible but on a personal level do you know the job I always really wanted I wanted to be the person that was like standing in the little uh, booth and giving the score for Ireland, you know, (laughs) telling you what the Irish uh, jury, what our country's score was and what countries. That for me, I was like, I'd love that job, Um, (laughs) which is kind of a funny one because uh, I actually have ended up with a far better job and uh, having an opportunity, you know, to see and to, to meet all of these young contestants that maybe in a few years time um, could go on to be our senior representatives is amazing. So I feel like I'm truly involved in the junior side of things. And uh, yeah, it's changed my outlook and mindset about the whole competition. So that's that's been such a gift and such an honour, actually. And that's going to be something you're involved with uh, later this year as well. 
Yeah, so actually our very first uh, television episode is due to air this coming Sunday at half past eight, 8.30 p.m. on Sunday night, and it will run for six weeks. And I should just mention for fans of Eurovision, it's so worth tuning in because we have got Eurovision royalty joining us as guest judges. I mentioned Brooke, Neve Kavanagh's with us, Paul Harrington. Um, we have got a different guest judge every year to join the panel. And then for the first time ever in Irish Junior Eurovision history, um, the public will vote for our winners so we'll have three finalists um on the 22nd of october take to the stage and there'll be a public voting system very similar in fact to the public voting system the junior eurovision final has and the irish public will ultimately choose um who we send to represent ireland this year that's going to be so so exciting isn't it to sort of develop that a bit further from last year of course last year was the first time you did it you get to do it again this year and your colleague and I guess good friend uh, Neve Nakrunin is going to be joining you as well for, for some of that coverage too. Absolutely yeah so Neve is kind of our weekly sit-in judge she's there every week with uh, another judge called Chris Green and the pair of them are great like they're so honest and they're so um, full of joy and fun when it comes to Eurovision because you know at the end of the day our contestants are participants are between nine and 14 years old so uh, they're just getting going and getting started as well but the talent is incredible and speaking of like all things Eurovision absolutely every like contestant who has taken taken part so far is obsessed and it's brilliant to hear you know young people talk about their memories because obviously they don't remember the glory days for Ireland so they're there you know vying for a place and hoping that they'll be the ones to bring the glory back to Ireland as well which is really <laughs> lovely bring the glory back and and sort of the future of Irish Eurovision yeah very exciting yeah. and at least we've got that to look forward to very soon because this period of time often feels like a bit of a lull time but junior Eurovision will be here before we know it and great to see that island have got what is it six weeks did you say of coverage to, to look forward to over the next few weeks yeah six weeks so kicking off this sunday night and running right up until the end of october so for anyone who's missing eurovision let this be my <laughs> little <laughs> pitch to tell you to come and join us on tg Cahir. and um, it's also very special one thing that i want to mention is that the winner will go on to sing in the irish language so they're going to sing in Gaelga, Ask Gaelga or Gaelic, um, which is incredible. So that's one kind of rule that we stick to. And you know yourself how important it is for different countries with minority languages to have an opportunity to sing that on a gigantic international stage. So um, I think that that's really special. And the song is written for the winner, um, especially by an incredible group of Eurovision writers. So, um, yeah, it's an amazing prize for that young person as well. Yeah, very exciting. I'm sure there's going to be loads of people listening right now who'll be tuning in at the weekend. So yeah, very, very exciting. Uh, two more questions to rattle through, one of which is about the UK, which hopefully you can take your Irish hat off and pop your UK hat on for this one. Uh, because for, for many years, as you know, the UK has struggled at the Eurovision Song Contest. Uh, but then this year, Sam Ryder came along and popped himself into second place. So how on earth can the BBC in the UK keep that momentum up? Yeah, well, look, go on, Sam Ryder. He was incredible. I mean, he really, I thought myself, there was a lot of hype, I think, before the Eurovision started about him being a TikTok star and people saying, oh, well, he's got all of this support online. He's got all of these millions of followers on TikTok and views and hits. Um, how will that affect him? Is, is that the reason that he's been chosen? Like, I don't think that it was a disadvantage. I think it probably was a good thing. It did more, you know, it didn't, um, come against him but I think that kudos to him and credit to him for putting on an epic performance on the stage and being a brilliant singer and you know earning his spot in the final as well um, it's going to be really tough to follow that I think and maybe the BBC need to ask themselves the question you know is being popular on a social media platform a big advantage and you know is global international popularity something that you need in Eurovision nowadays um you know you have to get the votes from the public so he did yeah it's going to be interesting to see we just had the news last week that the BBC are going to continue that partnership with Tap Music so that record label so there's surely going to be another strong name put forward for for next year but it's going to be a lot of excitement to see how that sort of develops into next year um but Louise, one more question for you. This is this is honestly my favourite question because we get so many great answers through this one. And it is the one change you'd like to see most at the Eurovision Song Contest. This could be anything you want to see change. Of course, we love Eurovision, but there's some things we want to change. So if you could have one thing to change, what do you think it would be? I think that the voting 
does leave a lot to be desired. And in junior Eurovision, if I can make that comparison one more time, you can actually vote for your country. Now, I know that like this is probably an unpopular opinion, but I think that if there was some change to voting and that there was some way in which you as a country could still show your support for your act, maybe not at the final, but maybe in the lead up to, in the, you know, in the rounds, the qualifying rounds. Um, I do think that some countries have struggled because they just haven't gotten a vote. And that has been a situation over the years that like countries, as you've mentioned, like the UK have struggled a lot with. Um, and then Sam Ryder, you know, comes and is so successful this year. And I still have to question, like, is that because he had such popularity on TikTok and he had those numbers and he had people he could ask to vote for him internationally that actually would go and do it? Um, I think a country can put forward a really strong act that's, you know, virtually unknown in their country, let alone internationally. And that person goes in with the big disadvantage and ultimately you know, won't make a final stage. Um, so I don't know what the answer to this question is or what the solution is, but I think that it will be nice to see um, some form or some part of the voting that would allow people at least show their support for the person that is representing their country. I'm not saying that the entire vote, I'm not saying that they'd be able to vote, you know, for their country, but that there would be some change to the voting that would allow a country, you know, give their country a few votes on the board so that you're not ending up with country that has zero point you know <laughs> interesting interesting let me throw this one at you as well given that i've mentioned emma kelly joined us of course from ireland she said that ireland should just be given a free pass to the final how about that one well i'd love that but i mean i don't know how the rest of the country feel about that absolutely like i mean it's a shame that the competition can't include all countries in the final you know maybe that takes the goodness out of it but like why not have a longer eurovision and just have every country that has entered in the Eurovision. Could it be across two nights? I don't know. Like, I mean, sometimes maybe people and different acts lose out um, because they don't get the opportunity to get to the stage. Um, I don't know if that would work and probably not. And that's probably another unpopular opinion. But yes, go with Emma Kelly's uh, option there of getting a free pass would take that all day long. <laughs> surely with the history, you, you deserve something as Ireland. Must be. Surely we can this put something true. in to make sure Ireland gets a pass to the final at least once in the next few years. That would be good fun. Um, but Louise, that is it from me. Thank you so much for taking some time out to chat about Eurovision and the way it has weaved its way through your life. And uh, clearly we've got um, a lot more Eurovision with you on our screens over the next few weeks and months as well. Woohoo. Well, thank you so much, James. And uh, yeah, please tune in. Junior Eurovision, TG Cahir, 8.30pm uh, this coming Sunday. Thank you, Louise. Thank you so much for joining us for a chat. Thanks, James. And there we have it. Another episode of The Contest and Me done and dusted, or at least another chat. Anyway, we've got a little bit of time left on this very episode. We've, of course, got to tell you a little bit more about what's coming up on Friday. But brilliant to have Louise Cantillon on The Contest and Me. And James, some lovely stories there. And a really interesting thought there from Louise towards the end when we asked the question, what would you like to change about the Eurovision Song Contest? I know Louise's main experience with Eurovision, or at least going to Eurovision, is junior Eurovision. And interesting that she would like to bring that junior Eurovision voting system over to the adult contest. Yeah, really interesting. I remember I've spoken to somebody on this series of the contest and me, forgive me, I forget who it is, but they mentioned that the voting sequence, the sequence especially, is down to a T. It's perfect. So I was really surprised when she brought up the fact that she'd like to see the voting change. Because I think that's probably one of the things where a lot of people have agreed on since the change in 2016. Yeah, it's brilliant though, isn't it? That's the great thing about Eurovision. So many different opinions, so many different thoughts, and that's why we love it. But Brilliant to have Louise on. And yeah, I love the story about her having just moved house and watching Eurovision. I think it was Eurovision 2021 last year amongst all the boxes in her front room and and just how much she does love Maniskin as well. That was great to come across. And obviously she had to mention Euphoria because as you said during the chat, it's not an episode of The Contest of Me without somebody mentioning Euphoria. And let me bring you back to that story about Mickey Jo Hart. She was talking about the way she met him when she was at school and talked about that lovely green guitar of his. Now, I remember you spoke to him probably over two years ago now, and I'm sure he had his guitar with him when you spoke to him as well, didn't he? He certainly did. He played me a little tune I seem to remember. So yeah, that was lovely when I had that chat with Mickey on the podcast. Like you said, over two years ago now, which is 
mind blowing. I did that in a completely different house. I didn't even live where <laughs> I live now when I did that interview. That was in my spare room back in the day. Yeah, so I think that was back in back in October, maybe September, October 2020. If you want to go back and listen to that, honestly, you've got plenty of episodes to go back and listen to after listening to this one. And you better squeeze them in because, as we said earlier in today's episode, we're going to be back with you not in seven days' time, but in just two days' time because we've got that very special bonus episode to bring you, which about two minutes ago, Rob said, we've got some more things to tell you about that. And I don't know what else we can say without giving it away who it actually is. Yeah, you're right. Barring any major breaking news story, it'll be with you on Friday. So check your podcast feeds. Huge bonus episode with a brilliant guest who can tell you all about a lot of what happened (laughs) with the UK at Eurovision in 2022 and an awful lot more about an awful lot of other countries in previous years as well. Okay, I think that's enough. I feel like that's enough to give it away who it actually is. So if you've got any ideas, keep it to yourself. We don't want to break the secret. Break the secret? What do I mean by that? We want to keep the secret. What do do I mean? Keep the secret? Is that what they do? I seem to remember. I went to the rehearsal of the London 2012 opening ceremony, by the way. (laughs) And on the screens they had, I think it was hashtag keep the secret, I think. Okay. So do that. Yeah, everyone, hashtag keep the secret if you've if you figured out who it is. So, as I said, I'll reiterate, we'll be back with you in two days' time for that bonus episode, and then we'll be back with you again next Wednesday for a brand new usual episode of the Eurotrips, the contest, and me. Does that all make sense? It does. I'll be there. I'm looking forward to it. Me too. I'll be there as well. So, in the meantime, you can keep up to date with us online. We are at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter and Instagram and hello at EurotripPodcast.com on the email. And make sure you subscribe, leave us a review and rate us five stars. From me, James, it's goodbye. And from me, Rob, it's goodbye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.